0: The sun is down, the street lights are on, and you're listening to largely the truth with Brennan Storr. To all you restless sleepers and midnight creepers, Bleary-eyed truckers in the graveyard shift, this is Brennan's store, and you're listening to Largely the Truth. Whether you're staring at a screen or the lines on the road, all is well. For the next little while, it's going to stay that way. Because I'm here, you're there, and together, we're going to explore the night. Welcome back to Largely the Truth. I hope this finds you well, folks. It is another fine Thursday. Well, not really, but that's when the show comes out, so we're going to pretend like it's Thursday. The roots of the show are in live radio, and by God, I'm going to stick with certain parts of that format at the very least. Anyways, welcome back. I am happy to be here. I'm even happier to introduce my guest for tonight. In a moment, we're going to be talking to Michael Labella, a singer-songwriter from Pennsylvania, who I happen to know through my other podcast, The Ghost Story Guys, and who is a talented young man who is just getting started really, in his musical career, and I think is, is really going places. In this conversation, Michael and I talk about going back to live shows, his experiences with sleep paralysis and how it's informed his music, and so, so much more. Before we get there, though, I want to remind you that if you want an ad-free feed, head on over to patreon.com slash truth, where for $2 a month you get access not only to ad-free episodes, because who the hell likes ads? I sure don't. You also get access to bonus material when available. For example, I just posted an additional 20 minutes from my interview with Moonrunner83. We talk about the business of independent music. And also, I just recorded today an episode of the show with Mark Semler. He is the founder and CEO of uh, Blue Pine Society, which is an organization that works to raise awareness of testicular cancer. Uh, That episode will be out next week. But not only did Mark and I record a fabulous episode which will be available to the public. We recorded an additional episode that's actually double the length of time, and that will be only for patrons. So, just an example of all the great stuff waiting for you over at patreon.com slash Truth. Alright, without any further ado, we're going to reach out to my good friend, Michael Labella, to talk about his latest album, To See What I Become. My guest tonight is someone I've been looking forward to speaking with since last summer, when I first heard his debut EP, There's a Morning. Appalachia, his first full-length record, dropped earlier this year. I'm lucky enough to own a lathe-cut vinyl single, which we'll talk about. And he hasn't taken any time off, because singer-songwriter Michael Labella, who hails from my spiritual home, Pennsylvania, is here today to share with us his latest EP, To See What I Become. Michael, welcome to Larger the Truth.
1: Brennan, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to finally chat with you.
0: I feel the same way, you know, I, I've, uh, I think it was, hmm, I want to say, yeah, August last year when, when, uh, when I first heard the song Carl Jung, cause you were listening to ghost, you'd sort of, uh, discovered ghost story guys, the podcast I, I co-host.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I was, um, I, I totally sent that email as a shot in the dark, no expectation of, of hearing back and, and you got back to me right away. And it was really exciting uh, when you shared that tune. I, I appreciate that.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. People generally aren't going to give you stuff, right? You got to ask. That's uh, <laughs> right, so exactly. If someone talented, make you know, which you definitely are, sends that ask, well, hell, you know, why not? And and it means it's one less uh, one less pod safe song I have to put in a podcast.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I was hoping. Well, well, maybe this will be uh, convenient in a way. He 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 gets uh, some extra audio to to play with.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, well, as I said, it's it's put me onto music which I've really enjoyed. But we'll talk about that in a sec. Before we do though, I just kind of want to ask: you are back doing live gigs post pandemic, and I'm really curious as to what that's like.
1: Yeah, for about since about May of this past year, we got to a place at least in Pennsylvania where things were, you know, numbers were going down, vaccine rates were going up, things were relatively safe enough to have live shows, and uh, and you know, I obviously while I understood the you know the, the inability to have them for a long time um, you know I was not somebody uh, bemoaning the fact that you know we weren't allowed to gather because I, I understood the reason um, but you know it was really such a great feeling to have that outlet back and because I mean at the end of the day my my goal is always playing live more and and connecting with people through that medium that's where I feel like I do my best and that's where I feel like I make the most authentic connections I mean online's great but so, yeah, for since about May, we've had shows back. now wow. things are are looking pretty dicey. um, so I'm probably gonna wind down a little bit in the fall, which I usually do every year just to give myself time to kind of decompress. Uh, right. I usually go hard in the summer um and try to play as much as possible and then take it easy in the fall. So there was kind of like a weird um there's that weird feeling of like, yes i need this i you know people need this because you know people i think people still value live music so much um, but then there was that kind of simultaneous thing like that this worry like i don't want people gathering on my behalf or, or kind of that fear of like i almost feel um i feel bad about asking people to come and and potentially put themselves or their loved ones in a bad spot because you know i want to play some songs for you so it was uh it was kind of tough to navigate but I'm grateful for the summer that I had.
0: I'm sure. I, I know here they've implemented, uh, in BC where I live, they've implemented a system where you have a uh, an electronic vaccine verification. And okay. so what they've put in place now is if you go into uh, grocery stores, things like that, it's not such a big deal. But if you're going into a restaurant or if you're going into especially a movie theater or a live venue, you have to present this. Uh, it's a QR code on your phone. Okay. And that Uh. is required to, to get in. And and, I mean, obviously there's been some pushback, but I know certainly I feel much more comfortable. I mean, I haven't gone to a movie, I haven't gone to a show, um, but I know I've, you know, I've gone back to the gym and I feel much more comfortable with that in place. Obviously it's, it's not a, it's not a bullet, uh, a silver bullet, but it's, it's, you know, a step towards that direction. Is there anything like that happening down in Pennsylvania?
1: I think with the larger venues, um I mean quite frankly like you know i'm I'm mostly playing in pretty intimate spaces. You don't have thousands and thousands of people gathering, but there I do know that at some larger venues they're they are taking similar measures and they're they're having some sort of whether it's you have to provide uh like vaccine verification or a negative test uh, within like a certain number of weeks within like one or two weeks. Um, I uh, didn't have to. I didn't have to be super cognitive, cognizant. Sorry, of uh, of that. Just at the level of shows that I was playing, um, right. because again, I'm I'm playing at some pretty like local, like hometown hero places. Um, so I haven't run into any of that yet. Now the the future remains to be remains to be seen. Uh, I have a couple shows left this year, so we'll see how it goes.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, I was I was talking to a, a musician friend of mine who was playing some some big open air festivals in, uh, Romania and France. And he was saying that, yeah, he said it's, I was really shocked that shows that size were happening. And he said, uh, he said it feels like old times, but with a lot of hurdles in between. So I I guess at some point we're just going to have to settle into some kind of configuration where we're, you know, we're comfortable with a certain amount of risk. It's, it's not something I'd like to think about generally, but I, I suppose at some point we'll have to.
1: Yeah. It's that whole, it's that whole uh, thing of the new normal. And I think that things are going to be different. I mean, no matter what, I think things are going to be different than they were before for a very, very long time, if not indefinitely. But you know, I do think, fortunately, human beings are a certain way where for whatever reason, we need live music. We need that kind of interaction. And uh, I think most people will be willing to go through those hurdles and do those checks that they need. And, So that that stuff can continue.
0: I I hope so. But uh, we'll steer away from the uncertain future for now.
1: (laughs) That sounds good to me.
0: (laughs) And I kind of want to just to start by talking about your first EP. Actually, you know what? Before that, let's let's start. When did you know you wanted to be a musician? When did you know that, that playing music was something you wanted to do?
1: Oh, wow. I was in the car with my dad. I think I was like six years old and he put on... Led Zeppelin 4. And I think that was the moment that I knew uh, that I wanted to to be involved in music in some way. So that I mean I grew up with a lot of like classic rock um, and then I was in a uh, kind of following that that path I was in a rock band um, in in high school and college um, and now I find myself doing something a little different but but that was probably like the the catalyst moment. I've been singing ever since I can remember, and I've been playing guitar since I was 12 years old.
0: Okay. I mean, that's, as far as inspiration goes, Led Zeppelin IV is a good one. That was my <laughs> that was my first Zeppelin record too, actually.
1: Yeah, I actually have the, uh, speaking of vinyl, I have uh, an old beat up copy of that on vinyl that I found uh, in I think one of my dad's friend's uh, garage. But yeah, that's, that record escapes words, escapes description.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. And there is something about that, that vinyl experience, you know, there's, uh, you know, I, I've got, I bought a turntable a couple of years ago, but because I'm a bit of a hoarder and a bit of a collector, I really have had to tightly, tightly control how much vinyl I buy. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I've, I've just gone back to original pressings of albums, which I really, really love mostly. And then a few new artists, but, um, you know, listening to an original pressing vinyl of say born to run, uh, which is you know, one of my favorite albums of all time. There is just yeah. a magic to vinyl, you know, and, and I, I, I don't know much about the science, the science behind the process, but there is a, especially things which are recorded analog and then pressed analog. There is oh, just yeah. a, a real magic there.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's an entire, entirely different experience. I think, especially with things that were originally recorded analog, because it's, it's like they, they didn't have the, uh, they didn't have the benefit of, a, of a, you know, a digital workstation where you could copy and paste things or you go back and correct every little imperfection. So I think you're getting a little bit more of, of like a human experience. I think owning a physical copy, like I'm, I'm the last person to uh, decry streaming, especially for independent artists. I think it's a great way to get exposure nowadays, but there's something special about owning a physical you know, copy of music or, or music in a physical medium. Like that's something that, you know, if I ever have kids someday, that's, I want to have enough vinyl at least where I can, can pass that, that physical artifact along. There's something special about that.
0: Very much so. And actually, since we're talking about vinyl, we may as well talk about your vinyl experience. You know, well, well, again, I I do want to talk about individual songs and albums, but earlier this year, you participated in least of all sound recordings, new initiative, the, uh, the direct to vinyl shut in sessions.
1: And yeah, I wonder if yeah. You
0: could, can you tell me a little bit about how uh, about that experience? You know how it came to be, what it was like, and, and what it is for our listeners who don't know.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I've always been uh, really like just like we've been saying, been really fascinated by analog technology. Um, you know, with with music, I mean, also with you know, photography. I, I shoot a roll of film every now and then, but uh, w- what that was specifically. Uh, nowadays it's I mean I, I'm sure it was always expensive to cut vinyl, but nowadays to uh, cut a very large project to vinyl or do I, I guess what they call a vinyl pressing, if you don't have a budget behind that, it's insanely expensive. like I think it's it's well over a thousand dollars to get you know just a, a hundred vinyls cut uh, you know anywhere so this um, least of all uh, from what i what I learned from them with with working with them with that project, um, they've done uh, their their direct to vinyl sessions, where they have an old piece of equipment that I think dates back to the 1950s. And uh, they cut individual performances, live performances, directly to the vinyl with a, with a lathe cut. Um, so it's a little different than, you know, doing one cut and then using that to press a bunch of other vinyls. Like their recordings are totally one of a kind. So that was a really cool. Uh, just, just really like a special experience to go to Brooklyn, um, work with their uh, they their producer. I got a uh, shout out, Colin. Um, at least of all, he he was the producer at my session, and uh, a hand a, a wonderful handful of people uh, pre-ordered some, including yourself. Thank you, sir. <laughs> oh, hey, my pleasure. Um, you know, they they ordered those recordings in advance. They picked the songs that they wanted, and then I recorded an individual. Um, well, it was a I, I performed an individual recording for each person. So those are all one of a kind. Uh, so that was a, a really that was that was kind of like a dream come true for me because I was I'd, I'd always hoped to do something analog, but but never expected that I'd have the budget. So the fact that they make that technology and that experience available to independent musicians is is really something uh, something special.
0: And I have to say, I mean, when my record arrived, you know, it arrived, uh, I think about two weeks ago, and I put it on. It was, I don't know, it was thrilling to have something so personal in, you know, in in physical form. Mm. You know, like I, I wasn't actually expecting the personal greeting at the beginning, and that was just such a, such a neat touch and such a neat way to sort of connect, uh, you know, connect me to the recording. That just again, there's nothing else like it, and it was. Um, Something I think that more artists would benefit from. But as, of course, as you say, you know, it is so expensive to do that. And as as I understand, least of all, they don't charge anything for this process.
1: No, they don't charge the artist at all. They actually, um, so what they do is they, uh, they obviously in return for, you know, doing all that work, the production work and the the providing the the material, they, they take a small percentage of each sale um, from the, but the artist gets a, a, a generous cut from it. Uh, which is pretty awesome, and then you know I actually put some of that toward um, cutting some additional wholesale records that I can now sell at my shows, which is is really oh, Very great. cool.
0: On the subject of of having to again, like the, the budget for a typical vinyl experience, I know the synthwave artist Megan McDuffie, who has a a pretty good following. You know she she had a uh, I want to say an IndieGoGo campaign for her first vinyl, and she really really had to push to get it over the line you know, and um, again, that's for someone with with a really established following. So things like this, which make it much more available at the entry level, I think are so important.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, Least of all really facilitated that whole thing and and also turned it into a kind of a cool history lesson because I I learned a little bit about the gear and and what the experience of recording on that gear in the fifties was like.
0: That is very cool.
1: So from
0: least of all, you know, recording your music, I'd like to go sort of go to your music and, uh, may as well start with, with the beginning with, uh, well, as far as, uh, you know, your releases under, under Michael Labella, your first EP that came out last year, it's called there's a morning and what spurred you to, to make that, uh, to make that record? What sort of made you think, okay, cause you had been recording as uh Labella and pool with your friend, Tim pool prior to that. Correct
1: yeah yeah absolutely um, yeah and that was a that was a great project and uh, that's not necessarily dead either Tim and I are, are still I mean we still work on stuff all the time together you know right now he is living in New Jersey um, about you know a little over an hour away he's he's married now he's got a place which I I mean I'm so happy for him and we're still very close um, but I got to the point where I just had too much um too much kind of waiting, just like in the, like in the cooler, just waiting to to get right, get it out. Just a lot of material, um, and I was just antsy to do it. Uh, so I, I think I just needed to start doing it as as quickly as possible. And and I guess with There's a Morning, um, we Tim and I had been working on a project for a little while up until the pandemic. So in early 2020, it, I think honestly, There's a Morning may have. That whole release may have just been the product of uh, being crazed in quarantine and needing that energy, energy to go somewhere into some kind of outlet. Uh, because right. that came out in, in May 2020. And that, I think, was me. I had no idea exactly how it was going to work, but I just knew that the creative energy needed to go somewhere. Uh, so I thought, well, you know, I have these five songs. Let's just record them and put them out and see what happens. And so that's, that kind of gave birth to, to that record.
0: And the response was obviously positive because it's encouraged you to continue.
1: Oh, yeah. I, the, the best thing that I think the coolest thing that happened with that record was actually the, um, I decided to do mail order CDs. So I, I got some oh, CDs okay. made. So I I planned for the the... Streaming release and everything, but you know, obviously, I mean, we've talked a little bit about my love for the, for having a physical copy and owning that that uh, that that kind of um, what's the right word the the Chris Nolan movie uh, Memento, <laughs> having oh, right. having like a memento of, of an artist um, is important to me. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I have a little bit of extra money set aside. I'll make some CDs. And rather than just go through all of the work of setting up an online shop, which I had no idea how to do, um, I just ran kind of a mail order thing through my Instagram, and was like, "Hey, if you're interested in getting a copy, you know, DM me your address, and here's my Venmo, and you know, I'll I'll just send it your way." So I actually, you know, I, I handwrote thank you notes to those people who got got those CDs and sent those out, and it was a really. Heartwarming way to maintain some kind of semblance of an authentic personal connection with people who were hearing my music um, in the midst of quarantine and the the early pandemic. So it, it was there was kind of uh, that was a beautiful experience that came from that that I I still remember.
0: Oh, that's that's fantastic. I know I as much as as you say I, I like as much as I appreciate streaming. You know, same way you do. I do find that you know having that that tactile, uh, that tactile sensation of, of an artist's, you know, CD or, or record just, it makes you, I don't know, there is something special about it that, that streaming has not replicated. And, and, and quite often what'll happen is I'll buy a CD or a a record and I may not listen to it a ton, the actual hard copy, but I will listen to the, uh, the streaming version, you know, but to me just having the, it's almost like a, t- there's a totemic quality to it. You know, the, Just to to have the thing is sort of like, uh, and and I mean, I do think there is an element of voting with your dollars for independent artists. That's something I try to talk about in the show quite a bit is, you know, more than anything, buying a record from someone is a vote to that person for them to keep making more.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's be be frank. Like nobody's uh, nobody at the, the independent artist level, well, very, very few people at the level of independent artists are uh, putting food on the table with the like fraction of a uh, cent that a sh- you know that each stream gets them. So you know if you want to show your support for for an artist, that that's buying a piece of their merch is is absolutely the best way to do it, or or going to a show, you know, if and when you have the opportunity to.
0: And I, I think people don't necessarily understand, you know, that. I, I mean, I think I, I just because I guess because most people just don't think about how artists get paid, but. I know I run a small, like a very, very small little boutique label uh, called Night Harvest Recordings for a handful of artist friends. And basically, I just, I pay for the DistroKid account so they can release their stuff. Oh, but, wow. Um, one of them, you know, and I, I won't say which, but one of them's had, I'm actually looking at the screen right now, 7,250 streams. Uh, and his entire earnings from that is $36 and (laughs) 15
1: cents. It's awful because, you know, that, that amount of streams, that's really saying something to the, the, the desirability and, and, you know, who that artist is reaching and, and the quality of that, uh, that impression, but, but it just does not the, the, uh, no, it just does not return in dollars the same way, unfortunately.
0: (laughs) So yeah, folks, if you're ever wondering why you see artists flogging stuff online, CDs and records, and you think, who buys those things anymore? Lots of people, and that's why. Absolutely. One of the songs on the, that first record I wanted to talk about was uh, the song that, that you sent in to the Ghost Story guys when, when uh, you first found us, and that was Carl Jung. And I wondered if if you wanted to talk a little bit about that song and sort of the um, I have to assume your experience was the inspiration behind.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, yeah, I'll get into a little bit of uh, I guess background of the experience that I, I initially sent to you via email. So. When I was and and I promise I won't this won't turn into when I was a young boy, and then over the course of my whole life, but uh, <laughs> when I was when I was a young kid, I used to suffer from from night terrors, not not terribly, uh, but I, I have several specific ones that I remember pretty vividly. Um, and it would be kind of like a, a half dream where I'd awake from a dream and uh, or I, I at least I thought that I was awake and outside of my I used to sleep with my door open and there would be these uh, sort of these silhouettes of these figures kind of standing in the, uh, in the doorway. And it really used to, used to freak me out. And then I grew out of them, or I thought that I had grown out of them, and I didn't have any of those experiences for a very, very long time. And then right in around um, April of 2020, and this was while I was kind of in the midst of the there's a morning project, um, but I hadn't really settled on all the songs that were going to be on the record. I had uh, I had one of those kinds of experiences again, but it was it was very different. It was um, it was kind of like I had come out of a dream, and then I was frozen in my bed, which is kind of you know that's that's par for the course as far as uh, sleep paralysis and night terrors go. Right. Um, but the shadow experience was different because what I perceived at least from my kind of immobile state was the shadow kind of coming out of me and kind of turning around and, and pinning me down. Like it, it almost seemed like it kind of, you know, like it, like it faded out of my own body and then came or turned around and, and pinned me. And uh, the weird, yeah. And the weirdest part of it was I, I remember, I can't remember if I perceived myself asking aloud or or just asking the thought in my head but it was kind of like what do you I I asked it like what do you want and the uh the response kind of freaked me out the response was I I, I want a problem like I just want a problem and then uh and then it disappeared and then I snapped out of it
0: interesting and so, what what is your interpretation of that response
1: yeah so the um the the reason why I went on to name the song. Well, I wrote the song um, kind of as a, you know, that's that experience inspired the song. I ended up naming the song Carl Jung because at the time I was kind of interested in his sort of like his spiritual, um, his spiritual explanations of certain things. And also, you know, like he was a student of Freud. So he had some very interesting like psychology, like maybe nowadays we might consider it like pseudo psychology. Um, but he had this very, uh, very, sh- I, but I think a very relatable, uh, strange, but relatable concept that he called the shadow. And I think a lot of people have, have kind of like picked up on this and, and there's like stuff that I see online now, like people doing shadow work. And, uh, right. But basically to sum up the, the concept, it's that you know all of this stuff that you repress and kind of don't show in the light of day or you don't show to the people that you love it needs to manifest itself in some way just in order to tap that valve. And this is like something inside of you. It's not necessarily a, an entity like a possession or some kind of a being outside of you, but it's just, it's this part of you that needs, to, that you are, aren't proud of, that needs to make itself known one way or, or another. Um, right. So that was at least my interpretation was like that was some kind of manifestation. Um, and I don't know. Whether it came about during that time, because of you know personal things, or because of my state of mind in relation to you know having been quarantined for a month and just the shock of that, right, um, or possibly the fact that you know I was embarking on like my first uh, my first recording project under my own name, and maybe some of the the fear or insecurity associated with that could I, I really can't I don't have a. A uh, uh, totally, um, you know, uh, uh, a full explanation. But sure, I, so I have sure. I have some hints or, or some ideas as to what it could have been. But but anyways, yeah, it was it was pretty wild, and I, I know that there's a psychological explanation, but it was a very spiritual, uh, at least like phenomenologically, it was a very spiritual experience when it happened. And, and I think
0: the tendency is to say when when something like this happens to. Um, to excuse it as, as a psychological phenomenon. But I think even if, you know, that's entirely what it is, it still offers a, a great deal of insight into our psyche and into, uh, you know, what we need in a moment or what we're looking for in a moment. And I think that's a, a hugely valuable thing. You know, I, I think quite often, you know, things like dreams, they, they tell us a lot about what's happening with us. In a way that we, you know, it's not immediately obvious, but I think if we put a little bit of work into its interpretation, you know, I think it can, again, it can show us, um, it can show us things about ourselves. And, and even if, because I, I know there are a lot of people who advocate for the notion that dreams are just kind of, you know, kooky head movies, you know, they don't necessarily (laughs) have a, like, even the woman I was seeing for therapy, you know, I was described, I went, I tried to describe the content of a dream and she goes, ah, it's not really important. Hmm. But I think they can function as a kind of Rorschach test. Oh, absolutely! So I think, yeah, I
1: think that. I think they manifest. Um, I, in fact, I can think of maybe examples in my past where they manifest things that trouble us during the day.
0: Yeah, that's it. That's it. And I think even even if it doesn't necessarily relate one to one with something that's troubling us, I think by looking at it, it can help draw out the things within us that we perhaps didn't realize were there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. With the second record, Appalachia, that it's a much more um, complex album, you know, both, I think, thematically and sonically. Mm. And so I'm kind of curious if, if that, do you feel that's one of the things that was sort of drawn out of you? You kind of, if that's some of that shadow work happening?
1: I think that, um, oh, wow. I, I actually don't know if I ever, <laughs> I don't know if I ever looked at it that way. But, but now that you say it, I think what happened with There's a Morning was just some some personal barriers were broken down, just in terms of my willingness to express myself as a right. as a creator as a, as a songwriter. Um, so I'm happy to hear that you know that may have manifested in in the following project. That's something that was maybe a little bit more. Um, something that you could dig your teeth into a little bit more. So I'm uh, I'm happy to hear that. I didn't, I actually was unaware of that myself. So you're, you're teaching me something <laughs> about myself, man. Thanks.
0: Oh, Hey, no, I, I, uh, I, I really like Appalachia. I mean, I'm, I said to you when you, when you first sent me the, um, the link, uh, late last year, I think it was or late last year, or early this year. I can't remember. No, it would have been early this
1: year. Uh, let me wait. When did when did that? Oh yeah, that came out um in May of this past year. Yeah, isn't it weird how how far away that seems?
0: Oh, time has lost all meaning, man. Time has lost all meaning. Yeah, I I can't believe it's well we're recording this um in the end towards the end of September it'll be out at the first week of October, but uh, I can't believe that it's almost the end of September. It it just this whole the, the last two years have vanished.
1: Yeah, it's it's so strange. I I think we're all in the quantum realm. (laughs) yeah i think that or or maybe covid was the start of the simulation breaking down finally
0: well i mean at least we'll finally get the whole thing over with (laughs) they can can reboot and we can all have jetpacks and it'll be great (laughs) but uh with appalachia you know when i first heard it immediately i noticed there is just um like a depth there and the tones are very different you know it's sort of the uh i don't know much about music itself you know I, i i tend to know i notice more uh, I associate uh, colors with sound.
1: Okay. Okay. So, so you're you're, I, you're a little bit synesthetic, then.
0: Yes. Yes. That's that's what it is. Okay. Uh, like I, you know, I have a vocal coach. I'm learning a little bit. Um, because I, I actually got what I think was COVID at the beginning of 2020, oh, and no. it really fucked up my voice. And so I had to like I was I sounded like Captain Beefheart for a very long time. <laughs> and, oh, um, that's awful. Oh, it was it was rough. But also, I noticed you know my my vocal stamina is much less than it was.
1: Okay, and yeah. so
0: I've been I've been working with a vocal coach to kind of you know sort of improve that, and consequently also she's been uh, wonderful at um, just sort of improving my general understanding of of music. But even so, I still very much uh, interpret these things as tones and, and and colors. And yeah, the colors for Appalachia. There's so much more uh, like shades of shades of silver and black and. Um, so much, there, it's, it's hard to fully explain without actually listening to the track, but there's mm-hmm. just, there's, there's, there are more and more layers there.
1: Okay. That's really interesting um, that you say that, that there's more layers because actually in the, in the production aspect, there are, there are literally fewer layers because, um, really? the, well, the way that Appalachia was, um, was different than uh, there's a morning. There's a morning was basically recorded to just you know like the pay no attention to the man behind the curtain like I'm I'm pulling the curtain back for a second but uh, right. There's a morning was recorded all to a, a click basically and and the parts were dubbed one on top of another right so you record the the guitar part to a metronome you record you know maybe a second guitar part or, or an electric or bass and then you record your vocals on top of that um, Appalachia was all recorded live, um, each of those songs is a is one performed take. So um, I actually- really? uh, Yeah. So I actually very fortunately had Tim um, perform. Well, some of the songs are just me on guitar and vocals, uh, but most of them have Tim on second guitar and we are playing those uh, uh, live uh, just all the way through. So actually, if you go on my YouTube channel, I have a playlist that is, um, it's, I think it's just type, titled Appalachia. And it shows the I, I took video of each of those the, the the take that we ended up using for the the album. Um, the by the way, the reason why that wasn't that didn't end up being Labella and Pool was because with the Labella and Pool t- stuff, Tim had much more of a an active role in in like the arrangement, uh, which I think he right. is a an absolute genius at. I'm much more simplistic when it comes to that stuff, much more kind of like. Early bob Dylan James Taylor recordings where it's just like and you, you have one one microphone just capturing the artist's performance like I kind of have a one track mind in that way um, at right. least right right now lately that's what i've been interested in, but Tim was i mean gracious enough to to want to be a part of it and to offer his his playing to it, so he picked up the second guitar, but those were all live performances um, on that record, so i don't know if I think maybe um with live recording, you just get kind of a different energy. There's almost more of an urgency, I think, within the capturing of the recording because again, it's like you can't just take me back to bar 42 and we'll, you know, do run it again. It's like no, we have to start this song from the top if we screw this up. And and we also you you want to get the best take. You want to get a passionate take. Tim and I have been playing together since we met back in 2013 uh, in Scranton. Actually, we we both okay. were freshmen at the the University of Scranton at that time, and we have been playing together since then. So, um, you know, almost a, the better part of a decade, basically. So, at this point, there is that intuitive understanding, um, and Tim is just really good. Uh, he's a he's a phenomenal musician in many ways, but in the um intuitive playing off of uh, what somebody else is doing. He I, he's the best I've met at that. So I think that there you know there's definitely a lot of that going on in that record. It's funny like even during the recordings he surprised me a lot in all really uh, incredible ways. Is that Tim on uh, Allegheny Interlude? That is. Yeah, he's playing the lead part. So if you have that in ah. stereo. Yeah, if you have that in stereo, Tim is in the right ear and he's playing the lead and I'm playing the rhythm in the left ear.
0: I I like, I mean, again, I like the whole record, but Allegheny interlude and then leading into Black Mountain and tracks is definitely my favorite pairing on the record. I mean, I think, uh, Appalachia is strong. You know, um, it's all good, but those two together, I really love the way they, they kind of flow together and, and the mood shifts.
1: Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Because I, I, I think at the time I was going for that, like some very high energy and kind of like, you know, you're on the road, everything is exciting. And then it kind of takes you down into like the, you know, the the darker depths of the of the record. I really like albums. Well, I mean, I really like listening to albums in general. Like I, um, I like taking the time to do that, but I, uh, I find that there's a theme with at least my longer projects where it's like I like kind of a um uh, an uplifting beginning and then kind of like a descent into darkness and then a, a a return at the end like I like there to be some sort of journey happening. So I'm happy that right. that you uh I'm happy that you you know you you kind of picked that up.
0: Oh yeah, no it's 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 very much there. I in regard to the album thing, I know what you mean. I I really prefer the album experience uh, and actually in fact um Elliot Wilder, who is, uh, who he's, his band, the Revenants is one of the, uh, one of the folks on night harvest or one of the groups on night harvest. And, you know, Elliot's produced something like 115 albums in the last two years. Like the guy's just insane. I can't even
1: conceive of that, that level of productivity.
0: (laughs) He's on Spotify. Check him out. He's been, he's basically been working nonstop. He's, he's 66. I think he's maybe semi-retired. I'm not sure. But he, um, he sleeps like four hours a night and the rest of the time it seems like he's just making music. Wow. I know I was trying to talk him into, uh, letting me set up some, curate some playlists. Cause obviously a thousand plus songs is a lot for someone who's new to his catalog to navigate.
1: Oh yeah. I would be, I would be deeply overwhelmed.
0: <laughs> That's it. And so I, but I, he was, he was resistant to it because obviously he, he designs the album as experiences and mm and and i agree completely you know it it's it's so much more valuable an experience to to listen the way it's meant to be heard but at the same time it really seems like streaming has has fundamentally changed how people listen to music
1: oh yeah and i i mean i think that uh, even before like spotify took off as like the titan of streaming i think that our attention spans were being shortened uh, even before that time but you know i i just watched a, a something on YouTube the other day that was like even in like even in uh, heavy metal which it has a an extremely devoted fan base and you know very religious fans like it almost seems like in certain areas of that genre like the album is dead as a medium of expressing your your ideas it's like you want to get the single out and then at most you want to get an EP out um, you know at least then, now that's the that's the business uh, advice, right? Now, there are fortunately, in my opinion, I think a lot of artists who are too stubborn to be um satisfied with that. And they have um ideas that take, you know, 40 minutes to an hour. And fortunately, I think there are still people with attention spans to listen to that. Like I I'm I'm personally uh, a big tool fan actually. So like I don't just listen to like acoustic folk stuff. Like I I had a I had a Slipknot phase, and uh, through all through my teens, um, I still listen to a lot of heavy stuff. Like uh, big, big Gojira fan. Um, Rivers of Nile is actually a great um, kind of metal. Uh, how do I? I guess it's kind of like a death metal band out of Reading, Pennsylvania. So they're from okay. uh, they're from the vicinity. Uh, but I'm a big like Prague tool, like Tool fan, and their their last record was like I think 90 minutes long. And I the, the night it came out at midnight. I sat up and listened to the whole thing, so I was up until like one thirty on a work night, and you know destroyed my (laughs) destroyed myself the next day. But but it was worth it. But I do think that there are plenty of people still out there that have that attention span.
0: Oh yeah, I mean I know uh, I I think like the uh, doom metal band Sleep, their album Mm -hmm. The Sciences. I think clocks in around an hour, and I think it's more or less just I don't know three or four tracks or something. You know, these they they just do not care, and those guys still have a, a massive following.
1: Yeah, it's it's almost like a the um, it's kind of like the model is similar to like how a lot of things are going from feature length films uh to more frequent um, episode like episodic releases where it's like the that's kind of like reflective of rather than releasing an album a year or every two years you drop an EP every you know five or six months so I I think that there's you know I'm not knocking any one way of expressing yourself but of course you know I definitely in 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 the right frame of mind, I'm still partial to to listening to a full album.
0: Going back to Appalachia, it, it, that sort of came out at a very tumultuous time for you personally, um, and and I think that's probably reflected a little bit in in the the process of it. Do you care to talk about that at all, about sort of how that influenced the record?
1: Right. So, um, it were, there were a lot of highs and lows. Um, really, the the inspiration and the writing of the record was ironically. One of the best times in my life because, um, just to give you some background, that was, um, you know, some songs were written earlier, but the bulk of that album was inspired by a, um, a four or five day road trip that I took with my one of my best friends, uh, John, uh, across the state of Pennsylvania. Um, we stopped at a couple, uh, places out in the woods that we had wanted to visit for a long time and, um, you know, I thought because I wasn't going to be getting any kind of like flight traveling or international traveling in that year uh, for very obvious reasons that, <laughs> yeah. you know, a, uh, a week long camping trip, you know, at, with at a, at a couple different sites might be the, the best it was going to get. Um, right. So let's just, you know, I was furloughed from my, my job that I had at the time. I had some time. John had some, uh, some time off. So we were like, let's just do this. So that, that, uh, the inspiration behind that album was really like the, the first taste of freedom, you know, I'd had in a, uh, in a very long time. So that was a, that was a big high. Um, and then, you know, around the time the release came out, obviously, you know, there's a big, there's a very, uh, the life of an album before it's released can be, uh, you know, can take a lot of time, you know, so it, it was about a year, year long process, uh, just under a year to, you know, be inspired, write the songs that were missing, um, and that were kind of making themselves known, uh, record it, plan the release, actually make the release happen. So, um, there were a lot of highs and, and some, some pretty heavy lows. I actually, uh, so I, I had f- that time I'd finished, um, Two-year-long uh, program to be certified to become a, an English teacher, uh, which I'm currently doing. Which that was a huge high. I was in a, uh, and I'm still, fortunately, uh, in a very wonderful and and healthy relationship. So I had those were the opening months of that. But I, I also had just lost my my grandmother, who was just a a massive rock in my family, and who I uh, just to kind of. Tease maybe a little bit. Um, I'll I'll be dedicating the majority of my next project after uh, what I become. um, I'll be dedicating a lot of that to her um, because I think she, she and her her husband uh, Phil, who's still with us, they are they have been like just about everywhere in the world that I can think of, besides maybe Antarctica. Antarctica. (laughs) Um, There's just they always had kind of a just that spirit of adventure um and right. that is something where as i get older um i realize just how much of the how just how much of that whether through uh you know genetics or nurture has been passed down to me um, right you know so so that was a that was definitely a big hit uh, to the whole family um but you know i i kind of found that there was a there's an a, a kind of strange poetry about the fact that Appalachia was you know based off of an adventure Right, and then um, you know, Patty was always the source of so many great stories of adventure, just from when I was growing up. So there was kind of that, that parallel there.
0: It's interesting, you know, that, you know, that album was was inspired by adventure, and it seems like that has sort of been the uh, the impetus for you to engage in a number of your own. You know, like you've you've had this this least of all session, and mm-hmm. now you've sort of got this uh, the new EP to see what I become. And, and really it just seems sort of, and you're, I mean, you're, you're quite young yet. You're like late twenties.
1: <laughs> sometimes I feel, I, sometimes I feel older than I am, uh, but I'm, uh, I'm 26. Yeah. So I, I, oh, I, 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 hopefully have, uh, have some time left to, to keep, uh, keep adventuring and keep creating.
0: That's it. Yeah. And I think sometimes it takes that, you know, sometimes it takes, uh, it takes a lo- excuse me, <clears throat> a loss to jar us out of our routine. And mm. to force us to, to take on uh, new sort of new risks. I, I know actually my, I was, um, 22 when my grandfather died my grandfather and I he, he were very, very close, you know, in mm. the absence of my own father, he was very much that for me. And so losing him at 22 really cr- kind of cracked my world open and, mm-hmm. you know, psychologically it, you know, it, it was around, you know, it took a round out of me, but at the same time, yeah it sort of allowed, I I think it forced me to, to, it took away the comfort, you know, it took away the easy part. And, you know, that was sort of like the, the sand in, in the, um, you know, in the oyster that, I mean, I I hesitate to say anything that has come out of me as a pearl, but, uh, I I, I
1: beg to differ Brennan,
0: (laughs) (laughs) but I I think it, it it spurred me to two greater adventures. And I, and I do think that, um, that's very much what Appalachia. When you look back, I think you're going to see that as as very much that for you. You know, the start of something. Uh, not maybe not the start of something, but the 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 sort of the origin point for the next stage of whatever it is you're doing. Which yeah, that's I, I, um, I, hopefully very exciting for you because I I I think it's going to be uh, interesting to see where Michael Labella goes from here.
1: Oh, thanks, Brennan. I appreciate that. It's you know, it's really funny that you say that because um, this past June. Um, and this was the, the first trip that I had planned since Patty's passing. Um, but I, I was, I basically talked to, to my grandpa and, you know, I just kind of sat down with him and said, you know, where I, I, I need to get somewhere this summer. I need to get out somewhere this summer and see something I'm thinking out West, you know, like Western United States, Rocky mountain area. Where should I go? And he said, "Oh, you have to go to Utah. That's the first place. Um, oh, you know, yeah, you, you have to He said, you have to get out there probably several times if you want to see any small fraction of what you what is worth seeing. But first time, go to Utah. And then you know, we spent that time some time together, you know, looking at maps and because uh, you know, obviously. Seventy-eight. He likes to do things the old-fashioned way. He's like, so are you going to bring an <laughs> are you going to bring an atlas? And I said, well, you know, there's this amazing thing called Google Maps. Uh, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> but uh, no, but I, I mean, the, the experiences that he offered was still, you know, worth our weight in gold. And uh, and you know, we plans that we planned a lot of the trip together um, for me to go out there. And you know, at the same time, he was showing me pictures from. When he and Patty had been there together, and and that was really cool to see that connection, and and then when I ended up going when I was there, it's like you know I'm standing in the same spot where my grandparents were when I wasn't even alive yet. So that was, yeah. uh, and that trip actually, um, you know, not to give anything away, but totally giving things away. Um, that trip <laughs> inspired uh, a whole other uh, EP that is in the works. So that'll be that'll be coming uh, that'll be coming not too far away.
0: That's very cool, man. I, I cannot wait. And just before we go, I just, before we wind up, I want to talk a little bit about the new, the new EP, which by the time this airs, people will be able to pick up pretty much everywhere. I guess it'll be on iTunes and, and streaming.
1: Yeah, you got it.
0: Yep. And so that album is called to see what I become. And can you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, what, what that, where that comes from and where you're, where, where that, uh, what you're trying to say there
1: yeah uh, so I think that and I, and I'm still trying to work this out I think I, I think that I always um um like songwriting is a really, I think in the moment process for me. I don't put a a, a whole lot of logistical or um uh even rational thought into it, the songs when they come. I'm just like, okay, let's see where this this goes. here's a feeling, here's a moment, let's see where it goes. um. Right. So I find myself like still interpreting things uh, in past tense. So, but I think what this is for me is is kind of like almost the the closing of a chapter in a way where I feel like at this point, you know, I guess a chapter that maybe started with uh, with there's a morning um, where that was you know I was totally green with releasing my own music, um, you know, and since then I, I'd put out uh, you know a full length record. Played a lot of shows that I'm really proud of. Met a lot of really amazing people. Um, so the the see what I become was definitely um, more of an introspective record, less uh, a lot less about adventure, adventure and and about relationship and and a little um, you know, admittedly a little bit self indulgent. Um, but trying to work some things out and trying to reflect on some things that I feel like I've learned in the past few years. So you know you have songs on that, like, uh, like Faces, which is kind of like about different identities that we wear in different roles that we occupy in different relationships and me kind of striving to get past that and to be as much myself as I possibly can, no matter where I am in the world. And then there's songs like, well, I guess End of the World, which funny enough, just a quick side note, I actually wrote the song called End of the World in January of 2020 which is uh, not, not claiming to have any uh, sort of gift of prophecy, but <laughs> that's kind of weird. But in, in that case, it was related to like just the, the kind of gulf that I saw between my own experiences and the struggles that I saw outside of myself. So, so definitely more introspective and uh, just trying to work things out in my own head and process things. But I'm, I'm really happy with the way that it came out. Um, this, this was another one that was live recorded just me solo this time, like one mic, guitar, and and my voice uh, in my room. Um, and and I'm I think I I think I captured what I needed to for myself. Uh, we'll see how how uh, other people react to that. But I, I hope I hope that people get out of it uh, what it did for me, which was some some time for reflection and and processing of you know the past couple of years.
0: When I spoke to Elliot from the Revenants on this show, that's sort of how I got to know him. Uh, yeah, that, that episode hasn't come out yet, but you know, I told him that there are some of his tracks which have this quality where, you know, when I heard them, I thought this can't, this can't be new. This feels familiar. And, and there's a, there's a film called Crazy Heart where, um, Jeff Bridges playing this grizzled old, uh, old guitar player. He's told that he's told that. Oh, I love Jeff you know, Bridges.
1: Oh, he's now, brilliant. Now and he, now watching the movie tonight. <laughs>
0: it's, it's so good. And he, he plays this kind of old broken down country singer. And he's playing a song after, um, you know, uh, sleeping with a woman. And she says, where have I heard that before? And he says to her, well, you haven't, it's, it's new, but he said, the best ones always feel like I've heard, like you've heard them before. And the title track from your, from your album to be, to see what I become. It feels that way to me. It feels like I heard it and I thought this can't be the first time I'm hearing this because this feels familiar. And I think it's just that it's that good.
1: Wow. Well, well, that is uh, one of the one of the best and one of the uh, most unique compliments I've ever received in regards to my music. So thank you so much, man. I am uh, I'm gonna pack that one away for uh, when I'm doubting myself, and I'm gonna take that out and, and hold it up to the light. <laughs> thank you so much, man.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure, Michael. I've I've really enjoyed having the opportunity to get to know you. Where can folks find you online?
1: Yeah, so I'd say my I'm most often on Instagram. That's where I put most of my updates uh, and share most often. Um, and then from there, you know, I have links to all my other stuff, like my website, YouTube channel, um, links to to Spotify and and other places to listen. Um, so you could follow me at Labella Songs if you want to. Uh, um, you know, get to know me a little bit and and hear what I'm playing. Uh, I'd I'd be really appreciative of that. So yeah, at Labella Songs on Instagram is probably the place where you'll hear from me most often.
0: Okay, and your Bandcamp is
1: I think that is the same tag. It's Labella Songs. Yeah, it's like Bandcamp slash Labella Songs. The funny thing is, I actually just set that up because I thought, you know, on my website I should probably allow people to listen to the whole song and not just have the spot the 30 second Spotify teaser. So but I believe right. it's the same it's the same thing it's Labella Songs.
0: It is it's it's labellasongs.bandcamp.com.
1: You see you're better at uh promoting me than I am. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, Michael again, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so so much for the time, man. And uh folks, the albums to see what I become, it's on streaming platforms everywhere. You can pick up a copy at labellasongs.bandcamp.com. It's- as with so many of my guests, he's a talented young guy, and he's absolutely one to keep an eye on. So, thanks for hanging out with me, my friend.
1: Brennan, thanks so much for having me. It's uh, you know I've been a fan of what you do for a long time, and it's uh, it's been such a pleasure to finally chat with you um, and hear your voice and, and talk with you live. So, uh, and it's it was a great conversation. Made my day. So, thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. And that's the ball game. Don't forget, if you like what you've heard, Michael's latest EP, To See What I Become, is now available on streaming platforms everywhere. You can also pick up a digital copy at labellasongs.bandcamp.com. You know, I'm only really a handful of episodes into this project. This is uh, episode nine so far, so really about two months. But already I can see that one of the great privileges of doing this show is getting to see young talent. On the way up and getting because I'll tell you folks, I got a great eye for talent that sounds immodest, perhaps, but it's true. I, I have got a good eye for these things. and seeing guys like Michael and uh, previous guests like Denzel Gordon and uh, Amon Mazingo, guys who are really just exploring the beginnings of their potential now, that is is really my privilege and I, I'm excited to see where all of them go. It's just, uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful position to be in. And I'm honored to be even a minor part of all their journeys. So thank you to Michael LaBella for hanging out with me again. You can find him on streaming platforms everywhere. Thanks of course, to Peter of Pizzanta Music for my fabulous theme song. You can find him online at nightharvestrecordings.com or everywhere you stream your music. And finally, thank you for listening. Without you, there wouldn't be much point. Alright. Until next time, I hope the night takes you to the same strange and wonderful places it takes me. And remember, if you're not sure what comes next, put a call out into the dark. You never know who's going to pick up. I'll see you next time.